Kevin Rose has gotten his multi-million dollar NFT collection uh, swiped, drained. Uh, so that's uh, that's unfortunate that's news. We'll, we'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about how you can protect your NFTs from getting fished. Uh, because if Kevin Rose can get fished, you can too. Bankless Nation, it is the fourth Friday of January. David, what time is it? Uh, it's the Friday Bankless Weekly Roll-Up, Ryan, where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere, nonetheless, into the frontier with coffee. I've already had two cups. How many are you at? Uh, four or five. God, you know, you know the answer to this. <laughs> it's always the same. Uh, I'm pretty regular, you know, like a uh, mm-hmm. regular coffee drinking old chap is yeah. what I am. How's your, uh, how's your ember mug? It's pretty good. It's, it's retaining the heat. Yeah. Use it all the time. This is not a, uh, this is not an ad. <laughs> it's, um, actually, it's not an ad. No, actually, um, so what happened is my office is like right down the hall from my kitchen. Uh-huh. And I would go from my office to my kitchen like many times a day to yeah. heat up my coffee. Yeah. I mean, the most like, frequent time you would leave your office is to go do that. Well, but think about it, right? So like three times, uh, three, 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 uh, different coffee heatings per, you know, cup of coffee times five, that's 15 per yeah. day. Yeah. Anyway, my microwave, button broke off like completely like disintegrated <laughs> under the pressure of all of the all the clicks so um i had to order a 3d printer part i'm just getting the, this the image of this robot not learned knowing how to like control its own strength <laughs> and just like snapping off its microwave paddle as it, it tries to open the door no i was going easy on it but yeah it's it just wasn't built for that kind of uh that kind of pressure anyway we're not talking microwaves or coffee today what are we talking about topics of the week david what are we covering Topics of the week, Genesis officially filing for chapter 11. That saga is coming to a close. So we discussed the fallout, of course. Uh, sadly, in other news, Kevin Rose has gotten his multi-million dollar NFT collection uh, swiped. Ryan, what else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the SEC. They came in with a big old ban hammer this week. Caroline Ellison, Gary Wang, Nexo, a whole bunch of action by the SEC. And we're also going to be talking about... a. Uh, a fire speech from SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce. Stay tuned for that. And Doodles migrating to Flow, Pudgy Penguins migrating to Arbitrum, Uniswap migrating to BSC. Is everybody what? moving from Ethereum, David? <laughs> we got to talk about that too. And of course, we got to remind you to like and subscribe if you enjoy this episode. If you're on YouTube, hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on the podcast player, then hit subscribe as well. All right, let's get to markets then. Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, as measured by dollars, we still measure Bitcoin in dollars. <laughs> yeah, we uh-huh. don't measure it in Bitcoin. Dollar maxis. Um, let's see where are we at on the week. Up or down? Big up, almost big two up digits. Again? Big up again. Start of the week at twenty two thousand two hundred dollars, up nine point two percent to where we are now at twenty three thousand dollars. <sighs> How are we doing a, this? I, I, this I, is like it's three it, things keep going going up, man. Ah, I mean, I'm going to start having to say bear market with a question mark at the end of it. Bear market? <laughs> like, what's let's happening? Not get, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right, it's like four right. days. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, well, I mean, it's been three weeks in a row, me, almost double weeks. digit you're right, ups. You're right, you're right. Uh, let's talk ETH price, too. Is ETH that price. up, too? 1530 was where we were last week. We are at $1,600, a hair above, oh, a hair below $1,600. We were at above $1,600 a second ago, up 4.5% on the week. So only up half as much as Bitcoin this week. Does that mean Bitcoin? gain some ground on that the old ratio big, yeah, that means we are down below 0.07 on the ratio 0.069 so you mad uh, about that david uh, i mean it's this just noise brother it's just noise <laughs> <laughs> do you still the, have any bets outstanding on this ratio i, I didn't oh yeah my ETH btc stuff. ratio is like that is a multi-year long long position i'm holding 
How are you doing that trade? Is that like um, yeah, it's compound? Uh, no, oh, Abe, excuse me. Yeah, uh-huh. Abe. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, you're betting that ratio and holding for the long run, right? Yeah. What's your time horizon on that? Multi year, you say? Until until the lapping, yeah. Uh-huh. Until the the not the flipping, okay? Yeah. The lapping, right. which is what double two two x Bitcoin, yeah, two uh-huh. x Bitcoin in market cap. Mm-hmm. So Ethan maybe have maybe to even pre- the third lapping. Who knows? Okay, so what does that mean? ETH would have to appreciate by what? Is that uh, 5x and so Bitcoin it, stays? So if we if Bit, Ether doubles versus Bitcoin, that's the flipping. From, and then it doubles again versus Bitcoin, which is the lapping. So right. that is up 4x from current Bitcoin prices is when I oh, will Bitcoin perhaps consider to unwind this trade. Perhaps. perhaps. But then you'll feel like it's you know only yeah. going to go up from there. And yeah, exactly. Like longer. I said, like Ether doesn't stop at the flipping. It starts lapping Bitcoin. That's That's how it goes. Brutal. Can you imagine the in, this industry on the day that that happens, the flipping happens? Can you imagine? It would what, be the most healthy and, like? and progressive thing to ever. I don't happen think to this it's going to sound very healthy on like <laughs> your Twitter feed or my Twitter feed <laughs> when that day happens. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I'll be feeling okay about it. All right, global cryptocurrency market cap. We mm-hmm. above a trillion. Above a trillion, one point zero eight trillion dollars. Yes, that's right. That's a lot. That's a that's a big number. Yeah, and it's pretty big for it. Like. Are you hearing anybody saying crypto is dead this cycle? <laughs> yeah, Jamie Dimon said it this last week. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Well, Jamie Dimon's <laughs> been consistently wrong in crypto from yeah, the beginning of time. That's right. There's less of that than there was last time around, I think. I mean, yeah. there's fewer people saying crypto is dead. Right. Uh, right. And that, look, that was one of the best things that died in the 2020 to 20, the 2020 bear market was like no one after big uh, crypto Ethereum Bitcoin came back from that bear market. That was the last time I heard like it could all go to zero. Like, I'm sorry, Bitcoin cannot go to zero. That won't happen. Same thing. Same thing with Ether. Like it's just not going to go to zero. I mean, a, a trillion is definitely not dead. This is very much alive, yeah. and yet it somehow feels like. What did we get to last cycle? Uh, three trillion, something almost, like this? almost four trillion. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, no, just above. Three. Oh, just above three. Just okay. a hair above three. Mm-hmm. I, it still feels to me like crypto hasn't had its big one yet. Like its big, big run up. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, like if you think of the dot com mm-hmm. um, bubble, for mm-hmm. instance. And you kind of measure that in in today's dollars. That was something like seven to nine billion. Yeah, uh, right. Excuse me, trillion mm-hmm. in terms of the. You it know, it the puts crypto bubbles to shame. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was real big. Yeah, and it was I don't the think the stock market. Yeah, it, yeah. I don't think I don't think we're there yet. My my, uh, met, my mental model for this, and you, I'm there's nowhere I'm not going to oh, be able to tell if I'm I'm right on this at all. But just like okay, so we had the 2013 bubble, we had the 2017 bubble, we had the 2021 bubble. To me, this is like the crypto engine like tumbling over you know you know when you have an old car and it's like you, the and the cylinders tumble and it doesn't start and it tumbles and it doesn't start every single bubble is like a tumble but these things are getting bigger and also kind of faster a little bit tbd um but the idea is like we just start to tumble and tumble and then the engine starts to rev and then crypto takes over the world yeah well that engine feels like it's revving revving anytime yes. it's above a trillion for yeah. sure mm-hmm. um all right let's talk about inflation uh, what is this chart showing us? Yeah, this is, a, this is a chart from Hal Press, which is just inflation typically goes down as fast as it comes up. So the headline CPI inflation for 1980 peaked at 15% year over year, and then it slowed at the same rate that it went up for the next three years back down to 0.2%. So uh, this, uh, uh, I asked Hal for uh, a source on this one, and he said it's just like national economic data. So it's like pretty, pretty damn verifiable. The take here is that inflation goes down as fast as it goes up, which is while we're still in the early days of data of inf- declining inflation does seem to track so far. 
So basically, we went up last summer all the way to nine percent, mm-hmm. and if we are kind of on the other side of the of the peak here, mm-hmm. then we can expect over the next twelve months to fall back down to what is the question? Two, this says two percent, two percent. That's what, that's what the, happened by the early end of twenty twenty three. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, are we ever going back to two percent? Sure. Question. Well, you it's all so? it's all relative. So like, if we if inflation went down to two percent, it would not mean that prices w- went back to normal. Like eggs are still going to be no, high it. prices. Just the rate of increase. Just the rate of increase is now of stable now, which is fine because that is what we need. We're, what we are doing with inflation is resetting the denominator and resetting the debt. So like debt is too large. And so we had to keep on inflating and interest rates makes the debt too hard to, to pay for. And so what, what did we do? We just cut the value of the dollar in like half. And now debts are much more manageable. I some, I, I still somewhat, uh, wonder if the new normal is going to be above 2% though. I mean, like, it's been 2% for, like, the 90s, right? Sure. Kind of the existence yeah. of most people's uh, adult life. I think it's that has to be 2%. above 2% because we have too much debt. I think the new normal will be, like, a 3 4%. I think that's I think very that's possible, yeah. so we might not get back here. Too much uh, debt. Let's talk about earnings in crypto, crypto revenues. I love this. David, we, ha- this we haven't pulled up um, cryptofees.info in a while. That's why mm-hmm. I wanted to put it on our weekly agenda. I don't know when the last time you looked at this was, but um, tell us what we're looking at for somebody on the roll-up who hasn't mm-hmm. seen us pull up cryptofees.info. What are we looking at and what does this tell us? So there are two things that we're looking at here. There's pink and there's white lines on this list of things that generate fees. Pink are applications like Uniswap, Aave, GMX, Liquidity. White, uh, non-pink are Ethereum, Binance, Smart Chain, Bitcoin, or actually like blockchains. Uh, so there's different ways to measure this. The Uniswap fees, which are uh, a seven-day average of $1.4 million generated over a seven-day average. So that's per day, $1.4 million per day over seven-day average, is the uh, fees ju- charged by u- the Uniswap protocol uh, to traders to go it's to like LPs. top-line revenue, top-line top, top revenue. revenue. Ethereum and also Bitcoin and also Binance Smart Chain are like basically gas fees, the, the fees it takes to transact on the network. Ethereum is making $4 million a day over the last seven days on average. Binance Smart Chain is the next closest profitable blockchain at five, half a million dollars a day, followed by Bitcoin at $350,000 a day. Wow. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's not, it's not, it's not a, a zero. It's not zero. Well, let's pause here. Okay. So when you say, uh, top line revenue for Ethereum, mm-hmm. How is it generating this revenue? Gas fees. Refresh us on that. Gas, gas fees. fees. Gas fees. Yes. Okay. So what's it selling? Block space. Block space. It, it, spells, it sells you the space for you to put the data into the block so you can do your thing. Because guys, blockchains sell, sell blocks. That's what they do. That's the thing that they do. And sometimes, <laughs> somehow every single cycle, we, we seem to forget we this. forget this. Yeah. So w- what is the difference between, so look, Ethereum is about 4 million mm-hmm. in sales per j- day. That's how much mm-hmm. block space it's selling per day. Bitcoin, $356,000 worth of block space per day. It's actually way higher than I thought it'd be. That's I higher guess. than you thought? Yeah. But look uh-huh. at the Delta here. I mean, yeah, Ethereum's got large. like a 10X. It's a 10X. Yeah, it's over 10X. Yeah. Bitcoin looks but that, tiny that's, in that's, the, that's the smart contract premium. Like Bitcoin is like, all right, I'll send you Bitcoins and then I'll also open up a lightning channel. Ethereum is like, what you want? You want to mint some NFTs? You want to mint some tokens? You want to take some leverage? Like what you want to do? Yeah. It's, uh, it's got more to offer. In, yeah. in other words, the utility or the value of its block space is, is worth high. more. 
Yeah. It's very high. Yeah. And are there any other um, layer ones on this? So we talked about BNB, which is, that's always been a little bit weird because it's super mm. centralized, but it, it is producing revenue. Yeah. And then what do we have coming in at number four? We have an Op- L2. Yeah, wow. That's the first time I've seen L2s on here. Optimism coming in at $40,000 a day. Polygon, $39,000 a day. Arbitrum, one $28,000 a day. These numbers are super low, but we also have to remember they don't have to pay for security by in the nature of layer two design. So coming in uh, after uh, Arbitrum, actually, depending on how you measure it, uh, Solana made less money than Arbitrum yesterday, but it's made more money over the well, last seven David. days. I've never thought about it this way, but it, in a way, like if you look at a layer two like Optimism, it's kind of like a reseller of Ethereum block space. Isn't it? Oh yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, because that's it's basically metaphor. it's kind of like um, it's taking the Ethereum product block space, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it's making it more valuable, it's adding uh-huh. its value on top yeah. of it, and then it's reselling that to all free, the consumers. Free arbitrage. Of, yeah. yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's interesting. But yeah. okay, but the next uh the next closest layer one, alternative layer one, Solana. is Solana with forty five million per day. Yeah, making over the, la- no, the no, last no, 20- no. forty five thousand per day. Yeah, making Sorry. less money in the last twenty four hours, less than optimism, less than arbitrum, less than uh uh polygon, yet it also has to pay for security. So the other website that we also go to is moneyprinters.info, I think, and you'll just see uh, like yeah. the absolute rate of inflation on a lot of yeah, these we could do monolithic that. layer ones. We I will we will hammer this into your head. Blockchain sell blocks. They also collect revenue. If they sell, if they issue more currency than they collect in revenue, they are inflating, and that's bad and for sustainability. Yeah, uh, that's why it's like. Here's the thing. Someone in the I think it was YouTube chat the other day when we were doing a, a live stream was like, why don't you guys talk about, why are you guys uh, talking about these other alternative layer ones acting as if they should be valued far less than Ethereum? I'm like, because of this, go right. to this site. The discrepancy Their is revenue insane. is down. They are yeah. not selling their blocks. Their product is less valuable than even layer twos. By definition, their product is to not charge fees, which makes them fundamentally unsustainable over the long term. Like the product, Anybody the, the, the structure sell- is broken. Pro- anyone can sell a product where you're losing money. Like yeah. I, I just, I don't understand why this isn't more widely. I don't know. I, I don't know, dude. Okay, all right. Well, we're, we don't we sell. are like the, the, we're just dumb ETH maxis who don't <laughs> understand. It's just economics. It's just um, basic economics. It's just science. <laughs> What's going on with the price of Aptos? That's Speaking a really of, good question. Well, do you dude, have any? Did you know the fully me? diluted valuation of Aptos right now is at sixteen billion dollars? I did know that, David. That and is did you know? Insane. Did you further know the fully diluted valuation of Coinbase? You remember that exchange, that little exchange, yeah. uh-huh. is twelve billion. Aptos. Four, four oh my god! Less. It was sixteen billion dollars when I looked at it yesterday. It's 18. at eighteen and point six billion dollars. Look at this chart. Coinbase, the Boom. exchange from twenty eleven or whenever it got started, is at twelve billion dollars. Who the hell is buying this? David, I think I actually think it's. Uh, uh, I think the inflows are actually coming from Korea. For some this reason. is a six X from January eighth. Unreal. Current. It is an empty blockchain. There's nothing going on there. It's- There's uh, <laughs> some stats here for you, David. Um, the TVL, total locked value, vanity metric, sure, uh-huh. uh, for Aptos is $58 million. $58 million. That's with an M. That's uh, less than most the, DeFi apps on Ethereum. The valuation is $18 billion. The total um, locked value on Ethereum is $32 billion. That's with a B. The valuation of Ethereum is 196. If you do that math of total locked value divided by fully diluted valuation, which you can do, that means Aptos is 53x more in terms of its value in the market 
mm-hmm. than Ethereum. It seems like quite a hefty premium. I'm having trouble understanding why. Yeah. I'm I'm not one to, to be so foolish to short anything in crypto because Dude, why ever, would yes. you ever short something don't. where there are just apes involved? You just but hate money. Man, is short. that really an enticing short? You're going to do it? No. I don't even know how because <laughs> it's not a token. If it was a token on Ethereum, it'd be easy. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'd have to go do it in some centralized exchange. But like, would do you that. do it if you could? If it was trivial for me, uh, yeah, I'd probably throw some pocket change at an Napto short. Yeah, just for uh, fun, just, just for, for the fun. economy, just to say, just to say, I did it. Yeah, I just never like never short things because yeah, it's, God, in, it, yeah, it's always it doesn't matter if it's the most obvious short in crypto history because apes will liquidate you. Have you ever seen people do like these angry shorts? They're like, the market's wrong. Aptos shouldn't be this high. And they <laughs> yeah. just like angry short it and they're just and like they're, freaking and they're wrong right, and they need money. But they're, but it doesn't matter because the volatility still liquidates it. them. They yeah. might be right like two or three years later. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. But like, anyway, uh, DYDX is also rallying. Mm-hmm. The reason why is because they postponed an unlock of tokens. That's basically it. So that's the dumbest reason to rally. tokens. Is pretty dumb reason. It's not. Uh, I don't, well, do we know that this is true? Because sometimes people just like to ascribe things. For, sure, it's, for it does seem like it's true because the news came out where they were like, "The unlock will now begin December first, rather than I don't know some other date." Uh, the it's details more, are in this article. Anyway, when that happened, then the price rose. So uh, there you yeah. go. All That's right. what we're trading right now. Cool. Cool. <laughs> An unlock. We can just mm-hmm. kick that can down the road. But um, optimism is up too. Do you want to? Yeah, optimism is at all-time highs. OP token. Uh, I'm sure if Arbitrum had a token, it would probably also be... I'm assuming these things will will trade in in parallel with each other. Optimism coming in at uh, almost a $10 billion network, uh, which is pretty damn crazy. Uh, It's hard to value these things because, like, optimism is still so what am I looking at here? This is CoinGecko. This is just... This is not fully diluted valuation. That's that's market cap valuation. Yeah, so market cap is... the discrepancy between the supply of not OP much supply tokens, on the market not much supply in the market but that's a, just a, a function of like how they're, <clears throat> they're just slowly airdropping out their tokens slowly releasing it right so like there's a lot of locked tokens market cap is something like half a billion but fully diluted valuation is at 10 billion so it's actually technically not unlike aptos in that there's a very small float and a very high fully diluted valuation but when you buy these things you need to look at the fully diluted valuation because that is the valuation that you are buying these things at if if so you're a long-term holder, at least, you're a long-term which I holder. hope you are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but at least there's real actual innovation and activity. Like Velodrome on Optimism is hitting volume all-time highs. Uh, so there's actually like What's justifiable. Again? Uh, it is kind of – it's like in a much more advanced AMM. Uh, it's a little bit – it's like kind of a hybrid between um, Curve maker. and Uniswap a little bit. But for any token, like Curve specializes in like-to-like assets. Hmm. Uh, where Velodrome is a little bit like Uniswap where it's not it, like A to B assets, press assets that aren't supposed to be priced on parity. Um, I did, we did a, an episode with um, a few months ago. And then after we did the episode, the price absolutely mooned. I'm like, why didn't I buy it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, why didn't you, David? Because it's tradition, that's why. It, yes, it's, it's tradition. The the number of times I've done a show on something, I'm like, hmm, that's kind of bullish, and then I don't buy it, and then the show goes out, and then the token price goes up. Is, is that, That's happened a handful of times. Uh, definitely, it would be, by the way, guys, in case you're listening, um, if there was a purchase of anything that David mm. made prior to doing a show, that would be listed in the disclosures yeah. on our website. And also mentioned so in the show. And also mentioned at the beginning of the show. Yeah. So um, even if David tried to fake pump and dump us, he actually yeah. couldn't. Yeah. Because we have that in place. Yeah. Um, also, that's like not what I'm interested in doing. No. I don't need to do that. You don't want to pump and dump. No. You just want to hold for the long term and be boring. Yeah. yeah. 
How boring. Exactly. All right. What's coming up next? We got some non-boring stuff. Got some non-boring stuff. Yeah. So Genesis filing for chapter 11. So that is finally wrapping up. We'll talk about that. SEC coming in a hot, uh, Ali Eisberg, the uh, mango market manipulator got charged by the SEC. Gary Wang and, uh, Caroline Ellison charged by the SEC. Uh, Nexo charged by the SEC. Uh, lots of things to talk about. And then Hester Purse of the SEC comes and delivers a fantastic speech, which Ryan and I just absolutely gushed over. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then also a bunch of NFTs migrating, uh, Uniswap migrating to Binance, everyone on the move, lots to talk about. Oh, and we'll also talk about how to make sure that you don't get your NFTs fished, all that, and so much more. It's going to be a big roll-up uh, after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this episode possible, especially Kraken, who is our strategic sponsor of 2023. Cheers. We said it would happen last week, and now it happened. Genesis filing for Chapter 11. Here's the story. Genesis owes more than $3.6 billion to top 50 creditors. The papers were released. We got some more data on this. David, uh, fill us in. What's happening with Genesis? Yeah, Genesis Global Files for Bankruptcy Protection in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York. In the filing, uh, there were, the company published a list of its top 50 unsecured claims. So if you are curious to that, it's a whopping $3.6 billion to its just its top 50 creditors. Uh, $3.6 billion it's owed. Uh, are you on that list anywhere, David? No. I'm not. Okay. Um, I think I am by proxy. Yeah. Well, I think, through, uh, I think you are joined Gemini. by many, many, many people who are, <laughs> who are owed that. Cause like, again, it just turns out yield is just this gravitational black hole. And so all the yield that was created in the last few years ended up flowing back into Genesis. It was the keystone of contagion. So the list of creditors is going to be <laughs> large. $3.6 billion is owed. Uh, does not say how much they have assets under management. That is not a $3.6 hole. As a $3.6 amount owed, uh, they have some amount of money and they're on their balance sheet that they do have. So it's not the whole size. Uh, but where's some of the big ones? Marana Corp, 151 million. I don't know owed. what that is. Babel Finance, I've heard of them, 150 million. Uh, mm-hmm. Van Eck, you know Van uh, Eck. Yeah, I went to their right, big yeah, institutional uh-huh. players. I went to their talk okay. not too long ago. Well, they're uh, out of luck, th- uh, $53 million. It's a it's a whole big list here, yeah. and a lot of people affected by this. Um, Genesis literally at the end of the end of the row here, but okay. So Genesis goes bankrupt, but not DCG. Interestingly, Correct. which is kind of the parent company right. of all of this. Yes. So DCG is letting Genesis go into bankruptcy without coming to save it because the hole is probably too big to, for that to be. Um, for that to, to be saved for them to want yeah. to do that. And so like that's also, could. that's also why they are selling Coindesk. They are, did you hear they're selling Coindesk because they need, uh, they need heard, to re- raise capital and like a parent. I heard like, um, price, prices on Twitter of like 25 to 30 million. I would like to that be really corroborated. I, I think that's just a rumor, but the price, oh, the rumor. speculation on Twitter was like the prices that are being offered for Coindesk is 25 to $50 million, which is extremely low. I think that's low too, that's but who knows low. how much it's hemorrhaging. Right. And yeah. They, I know Coindesk has a ton of employees. Would not be profitable. Yeah. Same, well, the, turns out we all thought the, the block, block was I thought, not profitable. I thought at everyone all. was like, oh, the block, great company. Like, turns out they're not profitable. Yeah. Like, anyway, guys should imagine be having more profitable. profitable media company. <laughs> uh, all right. Will Earn get their money, their users' uh, money back? That's the big question. And I know Cameron Winklevoss and the Winklevoss twins have been all up in this. This is Cameron Winklevoss with an update on Earn. This is the big question. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like $900 million, almost a billion dollars of retail funds Mm -hmm. in uh, Gemini Earn. Will investors, well, I guess investors, will people get their money back, David? 
Uh, so TBD. Uh, so quote from Cameron Winkloss is that Gemini- uh, Genesis bankruptcy does not insulate Barry, DCG, or any other wrongdoers from accountability, said Cameron Winklevoss. Gemini is preparing to take legal action against Barry, DCG, and others for the fraud. So the idea here is that they are saying that fraudulent activity happened. It's outside of Genesis. It's Barry and all of DCG. And so if even if Genesis can't make Gemini earn customers whole, we are going to sue DCG and Barry Silbert for fraud to get the rest of the money back. So the Winklevoss twins continue to be coming in very hot with accusations of fraud, uh, and we will only be able to tell what the truth is after everyone has their day in court. Uh, but Gemini twins coming in very hot. This is interesting. I just uh, ran ran the Matthew. So $900 million mm-hmm. divided by um, 340,000 earn users, according to Cameron Winklevoss. Mm-hmm. It's about an average of um, 2,600 per user. Hmm. Uh, so, right. I mean, these are smaller yeah. retail types of uh, accounts. Mm-hmm. And that could be somebody's like savings, yep. their crypto savings. Yep. Hopefully not their life savings. Don't invest more than you can afford to lose and certainly don't uh, lend it out to yeah. a crypto lender. Um Gemini laid off 10% of staff mm-hmm. amid troubles, which, by the way, is not a lot. It's not crazy. Compared to, like, that's, Kraken that's a just did number. 25%. I mean, it's, the, it's their third round of layoffs in the last eight months. Uh, but, like, 10% is relatively normal, especially when, like, other, yeah. like, Web2 companies are laying off similar yeah, amounts. Yeah, to- like, totally. Like, just Google like, just did yeah. a massive layoff. Coinbase has done layoffs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to continue to talk about this as it as it comes up, but uh, we got more. Mm-hmm. The SEC banhammer. What are they doing? Uh, SEC charges Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang with defrauding investors in FTX. Absolutely no surprise there. In the press release, it's charged that uh, Caroline Ellison manipulated the price of FTT by purchasing large quantities on the open market to prop up the price, again, which was the collateral that much of Alameda and FTX used uh, to borrow with, uh, overstated the value of the collateral on the balance sheet led to all of this uh explosion at ftx and over over uh, a crazy amount of risk exposure uh the complaint stated that wang created the ftx back door allowing alameda to divert ftx customers funds and ellison used misappropriate ftx customer funds for alameda's trading strategy i think uh as these people go through the process of being in court we're going to find out how much did sbf actually know because he claims that he had no idea that uh, Gary Wang had the back door between Alameda and FTX. How could he have how, known? How could he have known that? His his exchange and his prop trading desk having a back door with each other? How could he have known? Yeah, I just uh, – impossible to know, really. you got to feel for the guy. Uh, Caroline Ellison was the former CEO of Alameda, right? Yes. And then Gary Wang was the CTO of FTX. Correct. Basically operating as the same Very kind of incestuous, entity. yes. All right, yes. so that's hit number one from mm-hmm. the SEC. What about number two? Ali Ellsberg, the guy that uh, manipulated the mango markets on Solana and then took that money over to Ave to try and do a short squeeze on Curve or something, but then he got liquidated, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think the CFTC is going after him too, but the SEC charged Ave with market manipulation, uh, which is what he definitely did. Uh, Ellsberg is... Uh, Eisenberg, excuse me, is in federal prison awaiting transport to New York City, uh, and the SEC labeled Mango Token as a governance token offered and uh, sold as a security on the crypto platform Mango Markets. So this is perhaps setting What's a precedent. A, what is the Mango? You said Mango Markets. What are we talking about here? I, I, I think it's like D- an Aave. Solana DeFi? It's a Solana DeFi thing, yes. I think it's like a borrowing lending pro- protocol. You know what's funny to me is um, I'm like, uh, the headline is uh, th- this guy apparently stole $116 million 
of crypto assets. I'm like, oh, that's not that much. Like, Holy <laughs> crap, it's 116 million. What has happened to me? Yeah, yeah. I'm like measuring things in the billions for the frauds. Well, remember, he was the guy that tweeted out, uh, we just engaged in an extremely profitable trading strategy. And everyone was like, bro, you stole that money. It's called <laughs> that's, that's stealing. Theft. It's called market manipulation and theft. <laughs> yeah. And he tweets about it. He tweets it. Well, he has to. Like, he, he did it out in the open. It's like, it was a very profitable trading strategy. Yeah, like market manipulation is profitable. Do you bro. know like when... Um, when uh youtube influencers and stuff and like tiktok influencers like will literally film the crimes that they're doing (laughs) and like post it for clout this is what this guy was doing Uh advertising his uh big wins and it was uh in the form of market manipulation so that's number two Oh, is this? Yeah, same thing. How about uh, they hit someone else? Nexo. Nexo. $45 million settlement. SEC charged Nexo for failing to register the offer and sale of its crypto asset lending product, uh, its interest product. Uh, Nexo has agreed to pay the SEC $45 million and have ceased the sale of the earned product to U.S. investors. This is why Nexo said that they were leaving the U.S. market last December, citing a dead end in talks with U.S. regulators, which is kind of on par with conversations we've already had. SEC charged uh, Gemini, Earn, and Genesis last week for the same thing also told coinbase it would sue them if they release coinbase's earn product as well uh and so this is kind of far in in line with all the other things that the sec is doing to david so i i feel like um you know lots of times bankless has a lot of scolding for the sec yeah like we're like what are you guys doing stop doing like what are you doing Mm -hmm. um can we be mad about some of these actions i mean the sec uh, taking on a market manipulator for the Mango token, the SEC taking on uh, the FTC, uh, FTX executives right. and doing that. I don't know about Nexo, but like even though it's those two, isn't the thing we want the SEC to do mm-hmm. is come after like the clear yes. scammers yes. and grifters, yes. like the BitConnect guy right. from 2017? Yep. Isn't that where, where, where crypto is basically, hey, we could use some help in these right. areas. I, so I, I, I almost feel like I want to praise them for mm-hmm. this. Or like say thank you I can for some of these that. things. Uh, and yet, David, I'm like, I'm worried to say that because I don't know what the lines of demarcation actually are. Right. And like, it's kind of like, oh, you give them an inch and they'll take a mile mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm just, I don't know how to really address this or how to talk about it. I, I don't know if you have any takes on that, but um, yeah, what do you think? My take has been what it's always been, which is if it can be regulated, then it ought to be regulated. If there is a central Loki of power that the SEC has the ability to apply pressure to, and that works, that means that that thing that they're applying pressure to is sufficiently centralized to the point where there is a discrepancy between public market information and private actors. That means there is a principal agent problem. And so it's a little bit kind of judging after the fact, like if the SEC can apply pressure, then they ought to. But that's just what the nature of decentralization is. If they No, can't- so I, I agree with that line, mm-hmm. right? I agree with that line. However, like, so I think you almost have to get even more detailed there sure. because that's a guiding principle, but like, how do we know? Yeah. Etherscan you- can be regulated. It is a centralized company. Right. Could be regulated as a broker dealer. If we, or like in right. Fura, for instance, are we going to make, remember that was sure. actual, uh, legislation mm-hmm. material from SBF. We, sh- we should regulate all of the D- DeFi front ends. Do you right. remember this? Fair. I um, understand that. Yeah. That's a good that, point. So, so how do we do this? I guess- one of my uh, takeaways last week was like a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Hester Peirce, who is a you, commissioner uh, of the SEC, uh, gave a speech at a digital assets conference at uh, University of Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just exact. like, 
I don't know how to articulate it the way Hester does, but the way Hester articulates the role mm-hmm. of the SEC with respect to regulation crypto is exactly it's so good. what we want. It's, it's, we should read it's some a quotes from this. Fresh reminder of how things ought to be done by in the nature of why they were created in the first place. Here's a, here's a quote. Uh, Hester says, Crypto's value proposition depends primarily on the builders of this technology, not on the regulators like me who lack technical expertise and stand on the periphery looking in. What it's, a great posture great. to the it's space. Great. Some of these lines are so great. What else you got? My, my favorite line here was, Privately designed and voluntarily implemented solutions can be both more effective and more tailored because the people driving them better understand the technology and what they are trying to achieve with it. Iterating and experimenting with private solutions is easier than it is with regulatory ones. Moreover, private solutions avoid the systemic risk that comes from an industry homogenizing because everyone has to fit into the same regulatory parameters. Like, mic drop. Oh my God. It's such a powerful, like, line. It's so good. It's just uh, also the principles of just like frontier innovation always happens when you let the free market do its best. And this is what I've seen, not necessarily the SEC at large, but Gary Gensler really getting in the way of is just like really pushing back the freedom of the frontier to explore and innovate. Like, yes, we find trouble on the frontier and then we route around it and you're not going to do that, Gary. She also uh, says this, uh, regulatory solutions, which tend to be inflexible, should be a last resort, not a first resort. Mm -hmm. I also appreciated, David, how this uh, speech was also directed to um, people in crypto. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Said this, to us, to the bankless audience, I think people who believe in crypto's future should not wait for regulators to fix the problems. Right. Regulatory solutions, which tend to be inflexible, should be a last resort, not a first resort. I said that already. Privately designed and voluntarily implemented solutions are much better at fixing things than regulators using their inherently coercive power to impose mandatory solutions. She says later, crypto is about solving a trust problem. How can you interact and transact safely with people you do not know? That is the core of it. Anyway, this whole speech is fantastic. And I just like the the posture of a uh, regulator really taking the time to understand our industry. Yeah. What's up? If you go to the footnotes, David, mm-hmm. uh, look at these footnotes here, okay? Are you, uh, uh, you multi- going to bring out uh, – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Multiple bankless podcasts. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> three like, three bankless podcasts. What's up, Hester? Shout out. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Taylor Monaghan uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. YouTube video. On the Brink episode. Yeah. Um, she listens to John all the same Re- podcasts we do. That's great. <laughs> I mean she's – this is what she's we've asked. It, yeah the sec and our regulators to do is like we don't bite engage with the crypto community we mm-hmm. want the scammers out too mm-hmm. uh like we want your help to do that so mm-hmm. can you take some time to understand to talk to us uh anyway this speech made us once again so excited and so bullish we uh reached out to hester purse's office and mm-hmm. asked if she'd want to come to the show and uh i think that's uh, in progress right that, that she can said she that? said i'd absolutely love to so hester purse round two People don't know that uh, the crypto industry have uh, uh, warmly dubbed Hester Purse crypto mom uh, way back when yeah. uh, for for offering the stances that she's been put forth in here. Also, you know, she's a regular listener because she cited our uh, is everything a security episode with uh, Brian Fry. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you know, she's paying attention. Yeah, yeah. She she actually mentioned the uh, the fifth prong of the Howie test yes. in the speech. Did you read that? Oh, no, I Which missed is, that part. Yeah, she did. She she, she said fifth and, prong. Yeah, fifth prong of the Howey test that some people have observed is does the SEC want to regulate this? Right. Which uh, is like this is exactly from Brian. I mean, the only prong of the Howey test. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, I'm just bankless listeners know we give regulators a hard time sometimes, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that's justified. But we want to call out um, when they're right and yeah. when they're trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And let's keep in mind, regulators are just people; they're citizens. Mm-hmm. This is a layer zero type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they're when they're fulfilling their mandate in like for the people. Uh, then I think that's a much healthier place to be. So just uh, hats off to this particular regulator doing this work, and we hope more of them step up and do this, and SEC, CFTC, all the government agencies in every jurisdiction around the world. And Um, just to really drive this point home, the reason why we spent time to talk about this is like we talked about, okay, the SEC charged Caroline Ellison and Gary Wang with defrauding investors in FTX. Uh, Yeah, that's good. Uh, charging Ali Ellisberg with market manipulation. Like, yep, that's good. Uh, Nexo for failing to register. Like, the uh, facts and circumstances, it's a black box. We don't really know. Um, but, like, the point is, it's like the SEC... The, Hester, in this article, said, hey, crypto is not a monolith, and we need to judge crypto individually by, by facts and circumstances. And I think that's how we should approach the SEC. Facts and circumstances for that's every right. single decision they make. And that is what we are trying to do here. That's right. David, Kevin Rose had a real bad day earlier this week. Here's the headline. Kevin Rose's NFT wallet with 40 high-value collectibles Mm -hmm. was hacked. This was a phishing scam, David, that drained millions of dollars worth of rare tokens. A lot of very valuable NFTs on this Mm -hmm. list. Uh, what did what did Kevin lose in this hack? Yeah, so forty NFTs, like you said, one autoglyph, which hurts my soul. Autoglyphs are such a such a treasure. There's not that many of them. Twenty five chromy squiggles, which is the you lost first this one. Uh, that's a chromy squiggle, yeah. Yeah. Uh, twenty five of them, uh, which is the first art block ever created. Uh, one QQL mint pass, which I don't know what that is. One admit one pass from G Money. I've got one of those. Uh, a cool cat NFT, the currency NFT by Damien Hurst. Oof, quantum key, several on chain monkeys. But uh, it was nice to see that uh, he owned a zombie crypto punk, extremely rare, extremely valuable, and that one was saved. Um, but all the other ones were sadly lost to a, a phishing scam. Uh, the way that this worked is a fraudulent website. Uh, he proved a transaction. That transaction uh, bundled up all the all the NFTs that it was preparing to, to bundle up and then sent them outbound from Kevin Rose's wallet all in one go. Uh, so quite unfortunate. Sorry, Kevin. That is terrible news. Um, and this yeah. is just part of, part of the early days of crypto where we still need to work out some of these kinks. This is a problem that only we as an industry can solve. Do you know that line we say at the end of every show, which is you could lose everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, this sort of thing can happen. Uh, this was a, a phishing attempt that got Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my take on it, David, shortly after it happened. I said, it looks like Kevin Rose just had millions of dollars in assets stolen because he clicked the wrong transaction. And how brutal is that? You just click the wrong transaction. Right. Imagine if swiping your credit card at the coffee shop put you at risk for getting your entire bank account drained. Right. I think, David, this is really bad UX, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's something that crypto has to fix before it goes mainstream. Some people say there's ways Kevin could have protected himself for this. 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Yet, if he's a bit sure. more careful, and yet he's a seasoned veteran, mm-hmm. he's probably kicking himself now. Right. Um, but like, this could happen to anybody we know uh in crypto like a simple mistake of i'm signing a transaction that i think is legit from a wallet where i have a lot of different tokens or assets Mm. this type of thing can happen right so how do we solve this do you you agree with me that this is up to the crypto industry to solve like it's a big ux problem there are things that you can do today to make sure that you never fall victim to this and it's just a matter of taking the extra time and energy 
to do the thing. Uh, DC put out this, this wallet best practice, which I thought was, uh, very, very valuable. And also it's really the first two points that I think everyone can do. Uh, if you are engaging if with a wallet that has a ton of value in it, you should consider that when you do something, the rest of the things in your wallet might be at risk. And so what DC investor is advocating for, and which is a great system is that have people, people in the NFT world do this quite frequently. You can see people's like vault address and their name on OpenSea. have a vault address. And what that means is like you put all of your high value NFTs into that vault address. You send it from your hot wallet to your vault address, like cold storage, cold storage. Yes. You never, ever approve any NFT for sale from the vault address. If you would like to sell that NFT, you send that NFT away from the vault address to a wallet that doesn't have much money in it, and then you approve it for sale from the that wallet. And what this does is that it only approves things to be sold from that hot wallet. So like this is how like if you ever want to sell something on OpenSea or any other NFT marketplace, you have to give a smart contract approval to access that specific NFT set. This is how Kevin got fished. He said, uh, I'll sell this NFT. I approve. What he actually was doing not is- Not on OpenSea, right? Not some on OpenSea, other website. Some, some other phishing website, right. It's probably somebody was like, hey, Kevin, here's something for free I don't, or yeah, it could have been something yeah. like this. And so he approved- an in bulk, all NFT outbound transfers from that wallet. And then that smart contract did that. So what you do is that you only transfer one NFT into your wallet that you plan on selling. And then you just sell that one NFT. And then once you're done, you send the NFT back into the vault wallet. So the vault wallet never, ever approves any smart contract ever permissions to move your NFT. And so one is literally Fort Knox. And then this hot wallet is the one that you can collect all of your, you know, smart contract STDs is kind of what some people call them. STDs? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like, have you ever gone to like delegate.cash, for example, yeah. this uh, website that uh, DC's right. got? It'll show you. Sometimes like it, you load up your wallet and it's like, I've allowed all of these smart contracts to access my money. Yeah, like most, most of the time smart contracts are safe because they're not owned by anyone. But if you approve a smart contract to access your money and that smart contract is uh, controlled by someone, they can remove all your money. All right. Well, so, so let's double click on this. What is delegate.cash? Should people go do this right now? Delegate.cash is a way to delegate a, uh, a specific authority to have some sort of access to a hot wallet. There's mm. also revoke, try revoke.cash. I think that's the one I, uh, I, that's I, what I think you're I was talking, talking about. about. Right? Yeah. And that can show you all the permissions that you've enabled for a specific wallet. Yeah, and then you, you can un- unenable, those. unrevoke those. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Definitely, definitely some things that you need to do as an early crypto native. We're, we're settlers on the frontier here, right? Mm-hmm. We're basically beta testing all of these things for the Sick. rest of the world. <laughs> and so we get the upside from that. We also get the pain right. when this sort of thing happens. So you need to protect yourself. We, it really is the Wild West mm-hmm. right now. And uh, I think DC has some valuable um, ways to fix this. Mm-hmm. Also, though, David, back to the, kind of the point, it's still really bad UX. It's bad UX. Right? Smart we contract to- wallets. You need smart contract wallets. You need smart yes. contract wallets. And I do think that this will be solved over time, but uh, we're not ready yet. All right, David, what do we got coming up next? Coming up next for the rest of the weekly roll-up, win withdrawals. Win withdrawals, Ryan. I would like to withdraw my Ether. Psych, no, I wouldn't. I'm staking forever. But other people <laughs> might. Wormhole Hacker is now the fifth biggest owner of staked Ether. And Ethereum NFTs are going multi-chain. As well as Uniswap. It's going on to Binance. Crazy. All of this and more as soon as we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this episode possible. All right, David. When withdrawals, when are people going to be able to withdraw their ETH 
from the Beacon Chain? Uh, still don't know, but we are one step closer. Uh, a mainnet shadow fork uh, are in full dress rehearsal for system upgrades, which has allowed developers to test for flaws of the withdrawal contract. Uh, and this, so we are, have done a successful shadow fork of the withdrawals contract uh, for Shanghai. Uh, and so this is like one of the last big things that we needed to get done uh, to, in order to actually do withdrawals on mainnet. So this means that we are still on track for a March, perhaps, uh, delivery of the Shanghai hard fork that is not official. Do not quote me, uh, but we're looking good. David said March. You can quote <laughs> me quoting David. <laughs> hey, quoting David. Uh, Uniswap poll just shows 80% support for going to Binance, BNB chain, that is. What mm-hmm. is this? I can't wait for the headline to come out. I was like, Uniswap abandons Ethereum. <laughs> uh, we're getting a Uniswap uh, uh, on Binance. So Binance is not a layer two on Ethereum, but it is a EVM f- a clone, an EVM fork, which means it's relatively trivial to p- deploy Uniswap v3 there. Uh, since Binance actually has real adoption, Uniswap is like, yo, let's let's go to Binance. Uh, and so 20 million uni token holders voted yes, uh, 6,500 uni token voter, uh, So they're doing holder. it. Yeah, voted no, and so they're doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you care about this? Uh, as well, right? It's not ba- bearish for Uni Token. I think the only thing that's really relevant is for the Uni Token here. It doesn't put Ethereum under any threat as no. well. It's not. No. They're they're not migrating and leaving. They're just adding. Yes, um, it's adding more. It's like uh, this, Uniswap is on Arbitrum. It's on Optimism. It's on Polygon, and now it's also on Binance. A story on Coinbase, of course, with a with a Uniswap floaty here. <laughs> I don't understand God, this image, David, but. <laughs> It's hard to get images for crypto headlines, man. True, true. Wormhole Hacker moved $155 million in the biggest shift of stolen funds in Mm -hmm. months, moved it, and then also staked a portion of this with Lido, started doing some things with it. Uh, So refresh us on the Wormhole Hacker. It made up with made out with like hundreds of millions yes. of dollars in hacking this this bridge protocol. Mm. It's still live on chain and we could track it of course, moving from from place to place. Uh and now they're active again. Yeah, so Wormhole Hack, third largest crypto hack in 2022. Uh Wormhole is the bridge between Ethereum and Solana, uh backed by Jump and so Jump actually filled the that hole in in Wormhole. Uh, so they took it. They took the hit there to make people whole again. 120,000 ether uh, was stolen in February 2022 during the hack. So the hacker has now transferred 155 million dollars onto some exchange. Uh, then went on to swap that around in various DeFi protocols. Uh, the latest on-chain activity has us at 995,000 ether sent to Open Ocean. I don't know that dex. And then converted into ETH-pegged assets like uh, staked ether and wrapped staked ether. And then what they did with all of their staked ETH uh, is they used it as collateral to borrow 13 million DAI, which they then swapped it for more staked ETH, wrapping it and then wrapped that staked ETH again, and then borrowed more DAI. So they are leveraging long on their staked ETH. <laughs> they stole a bunch of ETH and now they're leveraging it up. <laughs> that uh, so they are now the fifth largest holder of staked ETH. Yes, according to uh, this tweet right here, which is yep. pretty crazy. Is this threatening at all to? You know, protocol like Lido. So let's say the authorities say, hey, you can no longer um, interact. Mm-hmm. Protocol can no longer interact with this specific ETH address. Why? Because it's a criminal. See, so we right. fi- find out the hacker is like North Korea or something like this, mm. and it gets makes its way on an OFAC sanction list, this specific address. Is this threatening to Maker? Is this threatening to Lido at all? Yeah, so I put out a tweet. Uh, can Lido confiscate this ETH, this staked ETH? Uh, it turns out the answer is no. Uh, and I'll go back to what I was saying earlier. If it can be regulated, then it ought to be regulated. And if it cannot be regulated, then it's fine. Uh, and so hackers, 
Like, Ethereum doesn't know the difference between a normal good person and a hacker. It's just everyone's treated equally. And if no protocol has the ability to do anything about that, that's just the way that it is. And you can bet authorities are watching these uh, funds move and waiting for this person to to slip up so they can nail them in real life, which is uh, fine with me. NFT stuff. Okay. Did Doodles just move to the Flow blockchain? I think so. Here is a tweet from, I think, one of the founders of um, Doodles. Doodles block, uh, the Doodles NFT project. So why did we choose Flow for Doodles 2? And he goes on, he states why. What's the TLDR of why Doodles is moving to um, Flow? They think that they can get better customer user onboarding using the Flow blockchain. They think the UX is easier, uh, and so newcomers can just get better access to Flow uh, by all the various differences of the Flow blockchain. Um, my critique of this is always that, like, yeah, of course things like Flow are better are more like web two and therefore easier for new users because they are web two because it's centralized. But that's just my, that's just my last time I heard about flow is in the context of top shots and even top shots was kind of named in this uh, tweet. In fact, the, the flow founder says, this is how top shots got to 400,000 people. Newcomers can create a wallet by signing into Gmail and then buy an an, an NFT with a credit card. It's like, yeah, it's like, it doesn't. Okay. All right. (laughs) So that I mean that that is interesting, right? Uh, and you you kind of wonder if other NFT projects are going to migrate. I mm-hmm. you know we've long known that they would migrate off of the Ethereum main chain, of course. Right. But the big question is where do they go next? Right. Um, and it seems like the answer for Doodles was Flow. I also somewhat wonder, David, if this was um, subsidized. I know okay. many blockchains, even Layer Twos, but certainly uh, alternative Layer Ones essentially subsidize projects in order to kind of move to their chain. So uh, I wonder if some of that was involved. Um, Here's a full letter to the community. Is there any takeaways from this? Yeah, it's just like the Doodles community knows that they're going to offend a certain set of their cohort of their community because, uh, I mean, flow is just, it's just not crypto aligned. It's not crypto native. Uh, Yet at the same time, uh, as an Ethereum person, we should take this as a signal that our layer twos are not ready to do the things that they will eventually be able to do. And so other Layered, other systems, ones that are more centralized and have compromised, have been able to adopt protocols like this because they can just have better onboarding experience. I so, think it's great. Br- bring on the competition, right? Sure, sure. Uh, Pudgy Penguins is doing something too. What are they up to? Uh, migrating to other ecosystems such as Arbitrum, Polygon, and BNB. So Pudgy Penguins using Layer Zero, uh, which is a cross-protocol into uh, communications protocol, uh, has allowed for cross-chain bridging for Little Pudgies, one of the derivative projects, uh, so that uh, you can find Little Pudgies across more blockchains. This is a, a take on all of these happenings from mm-hmm. Cyrus Unessi. What's he say? Yeah, he goes, as an ETH maxi, I'm disappointed by this. I love the facetious self-labeling of ETH maxis, by the way. Um, as an ETH maxi, I'm disappointed by this, but every layer two builder needs to read this thread and figure out what type of onboarding and user experience they need to provide if they want to scale to the masses. It's just a fair, reasonable take. It's like, hey, our layer twos are not as polished as compromised layer ones, but they need to be. Absolutely. David, you told me this was big news, but I wasn't following it. Bored mm-hmm. Ape Community uh, launched a new collection, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, an upcoming Sewer NFT Pass. What is this? No, it's, it's not, no longer upcoming. It is released. Sewer ah. NFT Pass. It's a game called Dookie Dash, released by Yuga Labs. And in order to access this game, users had to hold a sewer 
pass NFT that was free for all Board Ape or Mutant Ape holders. So a new NFT that was created that was claimable by Board Ape and Mutant Ape holders that I can't remember what the uh, there the price for one of these NFTs started trading on the secondary market and was definitely trivial, definitely non-zero, it was definitely a good price. Uh, and so. Uh, the game instructs holders to reach a score above zero to validate the sewer pass and then transforms them into a mysterious power source, blah, 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 blah. Like the, okay. The wealth effect from board apes and Yuga labs is absolutely insane. Cause if you are a board ape holder, you got to mint a mutant ape. You got to mint a board ape kennel club. Uh, you got access to like the other side mint. You got the coin, the, the ape token drop. Now you got this NFT. So like a lot of people who are outside like me, like looking in at the board apes are like, why are those floor prices so high? How is the <laughs> ape coin so high? Well, it's because of the wealth effect. Like Yuga Labs keeps on airdropping like so much value to the ape Yeah, but ecosystem. it seems like the, the community is really sticking around. Like, uh, yeah. It doesn't seem uh-huh. like some of these communities. Well, yeah, because they're, that... they're, they're making them rich, dude. <laughs> but we're in the bear market. And if everybody was leaving, mm-hmm. if everybody was pressing the sell button, they would mm-hmm. no longer be rich. It seems like this community is here to stay right because like the dividends you get from holding an ape has been it's like paid for the ape like five times over yeah i'm saying like i'm bullish on any community that is surviving and thriving in this bear market and if that's what this community is doing then Mm -hmm. it it sort of makes me bullish not enough to Mm -hmm. buy an ape but you know uh what what else they doing this is um a tweet Mm -hmm. the board ape yacht club um organization sets a huge legal precedent yesterday for the whole nft space um what is this huge legal precedent this kind of went unnoticed but you brought it to our attention yeah so in the terms for this uh sewer pass dookie dash game uh there was in the fine print by uh minting this nft i believe they says by accepting these terms you are agreeing to resolve any dispute between you and yuga labs through binding individual arbitration rather than in court so i I, if i'm reading this i'm not a lawyer but they're saying hey by participating in this you remove your ability to take yuga labs to court for any dispute and then they also finish saying, you also waive any right to participate in a class action lawsuit or class-wide arbitration against Yuga Labs. Uh, so that's new out of the NFT industry. Um, what's your reaction to this, Rand? I, you know, the reaction is obviously before minting, you're going to get hit with one of these gigantic terms of service agreements from mm-hmm. here moving moving on. Yeah. Like every, every project's going to have one of these uh, to cover themselves. And that makes sense. But it's also just like, okay, well, that's back to the legal system. How many terms of services right. have you ever read before, like, clicking your iPhone update or, right. you know, whatever it is? Um, yeah, I mean, I, cool, I guess. This To um, me, this is the private market filling in the holes that things like the F- SEC and the CFTC have left. It's like they haven't given us any clarity. So teams like Yuga Labs are saying like, hey, in order to participate, you can't sue us. Maybe. Which like, or maybe it's just fine. It, that's fine for me. But I'm okay with that. But do you think it's just them covering their ass? I mean, it's not like we've created is. a new governance structure for like board ape holders to settle their disputes amongst right. one another. They're just saying if you click, if you mint this thing, then you can't sue Yuga, which covers them. But right. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. like you it doesn't matter what asset, one NFT, what NFT, if it, if people buy it and then it goes down in price, if it goes down enough, people sue. It doesn't matter like what the precedent is or like what the grounds <laughs> yeah, are. There's like, I'm oh, angry, I lost money. I I'm going to sue. Welcome and so like America. this is just Yuga Labs finding a mechanism to protect themselves from that. And this is the private market saying like figuring out when there's lack of clarity or lack of investor protections, the people issuing the tokens get to de- get to determine what the protections are. Yeah. 
Well, uh, my only take here is I don't know whether it's good or bad, but I know it's going to be omnipresent from here on out in all NFT minutes, I'm sure. Uh, The Porsche NFT collection failed to gain traction. (laughs) Man, uh, what happened? People not into Porsche NFTs, David? Yeah, so Porsche NFT, Porsche, uh, or or is it Porsche? Porsche? uh, Release an NFT collection, I think like 10,000 of them, for selling at a whopping 0.911 Ether per mint. And what does the NFT look like? It is a JPEG of a Porsche. Porsche. It's a JPEG. Porsche. I love that David and I don't know for sure. Um, Because, of course, I'm not a car guy. I don't know if you are. Are you a car guy, David? I've got... Oh, I would love to to tell you about my car. I know. um, Because I... People, bankless listeners know we're huge sports guys. But um, we've never had the car conversation. Oh. Actually. Uh, I'm not a modern car guy. I am an old car guy. Just like... uh, It's like your music, right? You listen to like... A lot That's of old exactly rock right. and stuff. Well, since we're talking about it, I'm going to go send you a photo and we're going to talk about my car real quick. Do I have to do this right now? Yes, you do because you brought it up. David, I drive a uh, 2015 Honda Odyssey, okay? I'm not yeah, a that was, guy. That was, Honda Odyssey was the car that I was riding in when I was being driven to soccer practice. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no shame in that, all right? It's a good car. I'm sending it'll, this to you on it'll Discord. It'll take you from A to B. Um, guys, I'm, I am anxiously awaiting. Sorry for the interruption in this roll-up. I'm anxiously awaiting David's uh, car picture. Wow, this looks slick, man. This looks like something uh, old James Bond would would right? write here. Right? Can I find this? Uh, let me. Yeah, right. Right click it, and there you let go. Let me show the Bankless Nation. Look at that. Go. What is that's this? My, that's my. That is a 1972 Volvo P1800. Uh, you still own this? Oh yeah, yeah. That's sitting in the garage of my house back in Seattle. In real life NFT, guys. David owns yeah. one. I didn't yeah, know that. This. That car has been in my family longer than I have. No way. Yeah. So this is a yeah. family. Uh, yeah, not a family family car. Yeah. I have a family car. It's called a Honda Odyssey. I don't know what this, <laughs> this is. A, this is not a family car. <laughs> it's an heirloom. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah, All right, guys. Man. Well, that was our, our car baby. talk. So um, expect to hear more car talk from Bankless in the upcoming episodes. Uh, actually, that'll never happen. Um, <laughs> what do we got next, David? Back on track. Porsche. <laughs> The NFT didn't work out. Anything yeah. else to cover? Uh, there was a supply of 7,500 of them. I think they sold 900 total. Uh, yeah. Oof. So did, did not happened? flop. Or did flop, excuse me. Did flop, huh? Did All right. big flop. Well, moving on. Um, still made about 1,000 ETH. David, some uh, interesting news here too. Uh, I think you're going to have to yeah, tell us about brand, brand new headline. Trump NFT holders have been airdropped classified intel by Donald Trump himself. Actually, no, that's a rug. Uh, that headline brought to you by The Rug, which is a product out of the Dow. This is something I think we're going to try and experiment with. But uh, The Rug is a weekly issue of a – it's like the onion of crypto. Uh, aliens invented Bitcoin. Uh, Canadian government sends Ukraine $45 billion of SHIB. Chat BT can't rat, sat, write satire for shit. Uh, it is – it's there. some of the headlines are pretty damn funny. Uh, Gemini suspected of being run by one or more evil twins. Uh, if you are not paying attention to the rug there's a link in the show notes you can collect this post on mirror by the way uh and so moving forward the idea is that we are going to slip in a rug every single weekly roll-up and we're going to read that 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 headline at some point in the time this is the rug this week this is the rug y'all just got rugged trump nft holders airdrop classified intel i think that's pretty funny i think that was funny (laughs) intel's in the news man everyone's getting (laughs) classified intel um all right what do we got next uh, Peter Thiel wound down his eight year long Bitcoin bet in March of 2022. So he sold pretty damn close to the top, uh, and a very early supporter of Bitcoin cashed out 
uh, in March of 2022. You know, not long after being crazy on the Bitcoin 2022 stage, but that's a topic for a different day. He uh, he held his Bitcoin for eight years, though. Eight that's, years. That's a long term yeah. holder. He yeah. made about 1.8 billion. He bought his Bitcoin well in done. 2014, and then just sold it in March at the like good timing, March yeah. 2022. Yeah, and then went on a Bitcoin stage and talked about how bullish uh, he was on Bitcoin later yep. that year. Was it later that year? Was it? Uh, was it actually after he sold? Might have been at the same time. When was Bitcoin Miami? Is it March twenty twenty two? Twenty two. Maybe he went. David, you think he went to that conference? Is like these people are crazy. And oh my god! It was in April. <gasps> it was in April. Yeah. He sold in March <laughs> and started chilling in April. What was he doing? I'd be a little mad at that if I'm more. I mean, if he's a, if he's gonna buy back in at the bottom, that's fine. Like you can't. Guy held for eight years. He's held longer than most people. Yeah. Sure. But like. Sure. Sold in March and then went to the conference in <laughs> April. Oh, whales. What are you going to do? Uh, yeah. All right. On releases this week, so uh, somebody built a really cool protocol, I would guess, a protocol uh, kind of extension. It's called Proof of Innocence. It's built on mm. Tornado Cash. Um, I think the best way to think about this is it basically enables a Tornado Cash user, which, of course, David and I are not because we are U.S. citizens. No longer. And that would I be illegal. Was. I once um, was. David once was. Um, and, uh, what it does is it essentially allows you to cryptographically prove that you or your ETH address is not on an OFAC sanction list, even though you've mm-hmm. interacted with Tornado right. Cash. So the builders are calling this a proof of innocence mm-hmm. protocol. It uses cryptography to do this. Um, I think it's brilliant, David, because of course it is basically OFAC and treasury, of course, um, you kind of OFAC is an organization under, uh, treasury. Um, there's a sanctions list, and what they did was they blanket banned everyone from using right. Tornado Cash. That is, if you're a US, U.S. citizen, you you couldn't use it. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of people said, including us, what about the legitimate uses of t- of Tornado Cash? Are you saying no one who is an American citizen can have access to on-chain privacy? Are you saying all of us are criminals? And OFAC's response was like, yeah, basically that's what we're saying. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Not only that is that probably unconstitutional, and possibly on its way to the Supreme Court. There are multiple lawsuits, one which includes my my co-host David uh, going on right now. Now we have a tool that we can use to cryptographically prove Mm -hmm. that we are not criminals using Tornado Cash. Um, I think this is magic. You can view the details if you're interested in this. There's a Medium post uh, in the show notes. But my question that the Treasury is basically this. All right, can you unsanction the code now? Right. Because if we run this tool and basically prove that we are not... Uh, some of the addresses that you suspect are North Korea or other mm-hmm. sanctioned type addresses that we are just average Americans looking mm-hmm. for crypto privacy or maybe or the question to Treasury is, was this really not about protecting us from criminals and terrorists all along? Were you trying right. to do something else? That That's the beauty about this whole thing. And this is like a this is a statement of speech. It's not I don't think it's really about the actual implementation of this code. It's about making a point, which is that now users can access privacy tools while proving that they're not North Korea or any other illicit actor, still have their privacy, which is their constitutional right, prove that they're, and then prove that they're not a criminal. And if uh, OFAC doesn't remove this tornado cache now from sanction code, it just proves that it wasn't about North Korea in the first place. <laughs> it was about making sure that that they can spy on us. Uh, thanks to the builders for building this. Thank this you. is why it's we great. love cryptography. So See, cryptographic, cryptography is both the solution, the problem and the solution to all problems. 100%. Yeah. Uh, we are crypt- 
cryptography maximalist around here. Oh, God, um, yes. Robinhood has just rolled out a, a new wallet, uh, a new crypto wallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, they say, is going to be a competitor to MetaMask, and they plan to onboard a million users this way. David, I think we've got a beta access to this. I haven't had a chance to, to test right, it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Robinhood is very much known for their design. And I know mm-hmm. we talked to the Robinhood's founder Black, back in yeah. the summer and told us this was coming. Well, now it's now it's finally here. I'm excited mm-hmm. to have new wallet entrants on the scene because I think crypt, uh, I think competition will drive better solutions uh, to to the market. So this is great to see. And you know those Robinhood users are going to be super picky. Uh, so like they're not going to accept gas fees or anything like that. <laughs> so like they, they, this wallet easy. has to solve that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is built on Polygon right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're also going to add support for Ethereum. And uh, there's probably a way to get into in some beta access. Um, and then I think that will re- release to everyone later in the year. David, this is a new product from Index Co-op. What's this? Diversified staked ETH index. It's just basically all of the staked ETH tokens inside of an index. That's that. Well done. Some, some of them are risky. Some of them are less risky. Uh, we got some and now they're all together. <laughs> now they're all together in one kind of packaged risk model yeah, for you. Diversified portfolio. <laughs> that is DeFi <laughs> for you. Uh-huh. Uh, David, some raises this week. What's this first one? Centrifuge raised $252 million to add more power to the real world asset revolution, which is a revolution I'm a big fan of. Uh, Centrifuge is the system that helps put debt products on chain, uh, loans, etc. Uh, been around for a while, uh, long term cooperation with both Maker and Aave to help take real world assets and put that value of real world assets into DeFi, allowing MakerDAO to not just be the central bank of Ethereum, but the central bank of the whole entire world, which is why I'm bullish on it uh we got we got this as well from quick node tell us about this quick node uh 800 million dollar valuation in their series b series b raised 60 million dollars uh, basically a crypto infrastructure firm dev- uh, providing blockchain development tools um two record quarters in 2022 and revenue grew over 300 percent last year uh which uh is wow 300 in 2022 jesus i know pretty, pretty amazing uh good, good to see more blockchain infrastructure funding for sure quick notes uh, mm-hmm. a good company doing great work guys we have some questions from bankless citizens this week uh the first one let's see who is this from this is from danton danton, uh, danton. okay danton in discord i think we're looking at the question a question on the staking derivative tokens david mm-hmm. i'm gonna throw this one to you sure why is there a premium on our eth that is a staking derivative for Rocket Pool and a discount on STETH, which is a staking derivative for Lido. That's the question. Mm-hmm. Is it purely that our ETH is currently the most decentralized option and less reliant on a single point of failure? If all liquid staking derivatives, LSDs, are eventually one-to-one with ETH, then what is the benefit of buying or holding our ETH? Essentially, what's the benefit of one over the other? And is there a benefit to our ETH when the gains in staking rewards are essentially canceled out by the premium you pay? Help us understand these staking derivatives and mm-hmm. why they trade with uh, different market prices. Yeah, so Danton's intuition was correct. Our ETH has a premium because the costs of decentralization are always higher. Uh, Lido doesn't it doesn't have a cap on the supply of staked ether because you just come in. And there's no there's no bond from the stakers. So the uh, Lido validators, the twenty nine of them, you can come in and you give them your ether, and they don't have to put up any sort of bond. That's what the role of the Lido DAO is with Rocket 
Rocket Pool, the far more decentralized option, Rocket Pool stakers do have to put up a 16 ETH bond. So there is a constraint on the supply of Rocket Pool staking nodes, which limits how much external ETH can come into the system. And that is just the cost of decentralization. Decentralization tends to be costly. It tends to be slow. And that is why the constraint on our ETH supply shows up as a premium on the secondary market. And the unconstrained supply of staked Ether from Lido shows up as a discount. So it's a little, it's a little bit like the difference between DAI, yes. which is a little bit harder to scale in USDC, which Correct. is Coinbase can mint yeah. that as, uh, as to needed, infinity. Yeah. Right. That's exactly as right. Yeah. But what about this? What about this mm-hmm. kind of follow up question? So, um, what if someone buys our ETH? Mm-hmm. Is that a, is that a good idea? Or like, right. how does our ETH equalize to the price of ETH? Is there some arbitrage opportunity here? Right. So if our one our ETH is like point one point zero one ether, you pay when you, one ether will net you like point nine nine our ether. So you kind of lose one percent ish at that rate. Uh, and so what the Danton is, is asking is like, okay, well, like you lose 1% right off the bat and at, right. you know, five, so why to, would I do this? Why would five, six, 7% uh, returns a year? I'm backwards. Like I'm back like six weeks or something. I have to pay six weeks of my time in order to make up for that. So why would I do that? Well, if you want to go and mint our ether by providing a node, you actually get that 1% premium. So you can rather that, than buy it, mint it, mint it. Yes. And so you mint our ETH by instead of buying our ETH on the secondary market, you go to Rocket Pool, deposit your ether, and then you get our ETH in return. And then you can sell that our ETH for a 1% arbitrage. Now that 1% is not that much. So you kind of have to do this at scale. Uh, but that's how you can do that. Uh, and same thing with, with staked ETH. If you want to wait until withdrawals, which are coming in March in theory, you'll say staked ETH is at 0.98 ether. You buy one ether worth of staked ETH, you get 1.2002 ETH worth when you can later withdraw. Um, but yet you are right that essentially the discrepancies between premiums and discounts and also APIs will eventually net out because of arbitrage. Here's our second question, David, from uh, Danubi. And of course, this question is in the Bankless Discord, mm-hmm. which is where Bankless citizens hang out these days. Um, a question about Layer 2s. question starts this way. It seems that every Layer 2 starts to create... Uh, an ecosystem with a different value proposition. So you have DeFi on Arbitrum and NFT community on Polygon is strong and uh, Optimism has its thing. Here's the question from Danubi. Do you think that L2s would differentiate themselves in the future based on the value of ecosystem rather than technology? Mm. So what is it? Is the differentiator between these L2s, is it more on the technical side or is it more in kind of the community and the set of applications that uh, are on top of them? I absolutely love this question because this question is talking about, Ryan, the relationship between culture and code. And that is the thing that I think is the coolest thing about this whole entire industry. So Danubi's he's onto something. They're onto something that like Arbitrum is super DeFi focused. Polygon's got this NFT community. Uh, our optimism is really focused on this governance model. Uh, and each one of these things has downstream effects as to who chooses to do what on each layer two. So the culture behind the teams and what the teams decide to build their layer two as actually shows up in the communities that come to be built on these things. So like Optimism is working on this Optimism Collective dual token model for for governance, which I think is like the longest term, most bullish time horizon for what we can do in this space is like, how can we re-architect human governance? And so you'll get a lot of like the regenerative finance, uh, uh, like uh, public goods focused communities on Optimism. Optimism. Like the DeFi uh, ecosystem on Arbitrum is super hot. So you get a lot of the DeFi people. Uh, and a lot of this ultimately comes back down to like how these uh, different layer twos are constructed. And so 
that's one of the bullish like cases for layer twos is that we, we have like the idea that every single chain is its own city, right? Like some people like LA, some people hate New York. Some people want to live in Seattle, like layer twos all have their own culture to all facilitate any sort of demand for any sort of niche that needs to be, that needs to be expressed by the people that live on these things. Uh, and so that is how I see layer twos differentiating themselves based on values rather than technology, even though these things have a synergistic relationship. It's, it's a little bit of both, right? But mm-hmm. I, I do think you're right. O- over time, the technology itself will become the commodity, right? Yeah. All layer twos, like just in the way that all cities in the real world adopted similar kind of standards around roads Mm. and kind of their transportation system and all of these things, not really that much different from like Chicago versus New York. But there were some subtle, there are some Mm. subtle things that are different that are different. I, I, I do think all of these layer twos will kind of collapse on the same best set of technologies. Uh You you can even see some of that now with some of the optimistic rollups being like, ah, that ZK stuff. Yeah. We'll implement that when the time is right. Not yet. But, but soon. And I, I do think it'll all just collapse. And what you have left is kind of the culture. That's what makes Chicago different from San Diego, different from New York City, different from Austin, different from any, like, uh, you know, that's the differentiator. So, uh, I do think that will become more true over time. Although, and, and in, this is, this is why, sorry, finish, finish your thought. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I think in the short run, technology does matter sure. a, yeah. a good bit. Yeah. And probably more than it will matter in the long, long yeah. term. Yeah. What, uh, and this, I'll take this moment to chill the OP stack. Uh, this is something that, uh, optimism is building. The OP stack is this skeleton for, it's like a build a layer two workshop. Uh, and so they have all these modules that you can come and combine into a layer two. And so it takes the best of any layer two, turns it into a module and you can build a layer two on it. And so the OP stack is allowing for the expression of any type of layer two. And if you build it on the OP stack, any sort of layer two that is built on the OP stack actually has synergies and composability benefits and just second order positive consequences that allow these OP stack chains to work together, which is what optimism is building for. Like this massive Cambrian explosion of interoperable layer twos, layer threes that are all built on the OP stack that allow for different technology to come together to allow for some sort of expression on top. Uh, I'm, I'm so bullish. It's so awesome. It's so sci-fi. <laughs> uh, it's pretty exciting. By the way, I'm um, speaking of awesome things going on in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're seeing now on screen is the Bankless Nation Discord, mm-hmm. right? This is where we hang out. We talk about heading west. This is where we head west with bankless mm-hmm. citizens, bankless community members as as a group. Questions like this get asked all of the time. David, you are doing something, I believe, this Friday, a special event mm-hmm. in the Bankless Nation Discord. Tell them about that. And uh, how can people who are not part of this community join? So uh, at the time of me speaking, a newsletter is going out on the Bankless newsletter that I wrote. It's called Ethereum, the Economic Engine, the Economic Machine. I'm super excited about this article. Uh, and tomorrow, which is actually today for the time of listening, listening, if you are listening on Friday, at 3 p.m. Eastern, we're doing a little Q&A session. for So everyone that's watched the video or read the article that has questions about the article, at 3 p.m. Eastern, we're all going to be, all the Bankless Premium subscribers, all the Bankless Nation are going to be in the stage in Discord. Uh, and I'll give a short little monologue about the article and unpack it a little bit. And then we're going to do a Q&A session. Uh, and so for anyone that's got extra questions about the article or anything else, I'm sure we'll start talking about whatever, uh, that is happening at 3 p.m. Eastern for every bankless citizen. The other cool thing, Ryan, that happened in the Discord this week, uh, we made this channel called RSA slash David Tracking. If you want to click on that, uh, how, how do we come up with all of the topics for the Bankless Weekly Rollup? Well, we put them into this channel inside of the Bankless HQ Discord, the centralized media 
company Discord. And then we've created this relaying channel into the Bankless Nation so the Bankless Nation can keep tabs on what we're up to and making sure we're still working. Uh, and so... <laughs> and somebody, so somebody can get our information and fork our roll-up and, and come up with a, a different one, a better exactly one with better hosts. Exactly right. And so everything that we talk about, we, we just take the link from Twitter, from Coindesk, wherever it is, we put it into the into our Discord and then that a bot relays it into the Bankless Nation Discord uh, and then you can like comment on that and see what we're going to talk about. It's like you can you can see what we're going to talk about seven seven uh, days ahead of time just because we have this carbon clone copy of these two different Discord channels that goes. It's like it's like a window into HQ. That's what we're up to. A lot, a lot of cool stuff going on here. And mm-hmm. if you want to become a, we're calling them bankless citizens, upgrade to bankless premium. There's a link in the show notes. And what happens is when you join, uh, you get a link to this Discord and you can catch uh, David's talk tomorrow that's, ha- that's mm-hmm. happening in the bankless Discord. Mm-hmm. All right, David, we got some takes of the week. Here's the first one from mm-hmm. Amin Soleimani. ETH only Rye, that's R-A-I, Rye was a mistake. The ETH staking yield means that borrowing Rye against pure ETH will always have some percentage opportunity cost. The Rye redemption rate should almost always be negative to reflect this opportunity cost. Decentralization is expensive. People don't want to pay. All right. There's some context I think people should understand before reading this tweet. The context from my perspective is Rye was too much to call it a stable coin. It's not tracking the dollar, but we'll mm-hmm. call it a stable coin. Kind of a, a, a crypto native stable coin that doesn't have any off-chain value. So it's completely collateralized and backed by ETH. Um, it uses some control theory to do this. It's it's sort of the original single collateral die mm-hmm. model, only fully realized. Right. Um, Amin is uh, he's been in the Ethereum space for a long time. He's kind of a a, a co father uh, of this Rye protocol, right? Mm-hmm. Which has been kind of exciting for crypto natives who want like we want our crypto only money, right? Right. Um, this is him kind of waving the white flag and saying yeah. like, hey, this method didn't work out, and I think that's yeah. a big deal because he's been very bullish on Rye. Um, prior to this. So that's the context. I guess my question here is twofold. Why do you think Amin is waving the red flag, uh, the, the white flag on this Rye mm-hmm. project? And what does this mean for the future of crypto na- native stablecoins? Does this mean we'll never get here? Because Rye was one of the most promising projects there. And it's just like, look at the market cap, David. Yeah, It's down to like, Eight million or so. So this is like the supply of die going yeah. down from like almost a hundred thousand, a hundred million down to eight million, and so it's like I'm saying, only. like man, this isn't working. People aren't using it. Yeah. Uh, it, he actually follows up with a second tweet that has some elaboration. He goes, "I tried to do uh, some casual interest rate manipulation to this set the redemption rate for positive. Basically, basically he's saying that like Rye doesn't work when there's only one collateral, and no one wants to take the opportunity cost of using that their Ether collateral to mint Rye when Ether is just going up and up and up and up and up." Uh, and so maybe but what, Rye wasn't works. He, wasn't he saying that maybe it works if you have staked uh, derivatives in there instead? Like maybe, if you have yeah. SCETH in it or like RETH, maybe it works better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says that the Rye team has always been doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on ungovernance, as in no governance mechanisms, just pure raw cryptography that makes this system work, which is admirable and very something that we should always aspire to. But he's saying that they went so far down the ungovernance route that they were never able to swap out ether for something like staked ether or anything else because they made their system so rigid and so i think the lesson here is like if you like there is some benefit to having human governance like going so far down the ungovernance you can't ungovern too soon until you like are ready for homeostasis right or ossification yeah and that's Mm -hmm. what happened here and so basically there's a massive opportunity cost for people depositing eth to back rye 
um, mm-hmm. because it means they can't stake it. Yeah, or so do anything a, else, yeah. Or do anything else. So it's a much higher cost of capital and it's just the economics don't make yeah. sense. It's also just like tip of the hat. It's hard to admit you're wrong. So props to Amin I for waving the red flag and say, oh, like the project I'm working on, we made a mistake. Do you That's ever admit you're wrong, David? Do. When was the last time you admitted you're wrong? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, de- it depends on the context. I've admitted that we were wrong about the alt layer one trade but I only admitted it in the short term. I still write in the long term. I need to reflect on that one a little bit more. Uh, I got one. Sure. Uh, we admitted recently that we shouldn't have had Nexo as a Q4 sponsor oh, yeah, sure. for six weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we but I'll, okay, but also I'll say like we should be able to have centralized sponsors because yeah, centralized products. Said, yeah, okay, blah 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 blah. There's, al- <laughs> anyway. there's always like I would always like to justify it in some <laughs> particular way. <laughs> what, what I'm look the big takeaway here is I'm kind of worried we will never get sort of a. Uh, Crypto native backed stablecoin. That's my worry. I guess Frax is some combo of yeah. maybe it's just our hybrid options are the only things remaining for us. But I think the uh, decentralized enough approach is underrated. Here's uh, my take, David. I'll read it out. In crypto, when our banks fail, we don't bail them out. It's more painful in the short run, yet more healthy in the long run. Free market. This is kind of hard to just say coming out of 2022, right? Because a lot of people got hit by right. 2022, including us, mm-hmm. including many bankless listeners. And yet there's an element of like that is short run pain, but what it did was it detoxified a bunch mm-hmm. of the things that were destined to fail anyway. And it, it's strengthening our market rather than the other method that we use in traditional finance is bailout. Right. We didn't have to bail mm-hmm. anybody out. Mm-hmm. The companies that were taking undue risk died. They pay for that risk. Yeah. They paid for it. Isn't that the way it should be? Um, I think that's good. And I, I'm hopeful crypto can preserve this sort of thing in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be much smarter next time around. And the appropriate people largely got hit with the penalty for the risk that they took. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not perfect. Let me just say it's not perfect. But I think bailouts would be far worse. I think I totally agree. Yeah. The comfort that is a bailout is toxic towards maturation and growth. If you just If you don't have to deal with your consequences, you don't ever mature. Here's, uh, here's your take, David. Um, the bull case for ETH staking is no longer that Ethereum will be the settlement layer for the internet. That's now the base case. The new bull case for ETH is that it's the security layer for the entire internet. ETH staking goes from one-dimensional to omnidimensional. I think you're talking about Eigenlayer here. Am yeah. I guessing that correctly? I Well, not specifically Eigenlayer, but Eigenlayer is the one that's pioneering this field of restaking or what I kind of have called omnidimensional staking, where you can take your Ether and stake it to Ethereum to secure Ethereum, but you can also take on additional slashing penalties to secure other things as well and also get a yield for that too. Uh, and so, like, what do you want to secure? An oracle? You can restake your ETH. Uh, what do you want to secure? A prediction market? You can restake your ETH. So Ether, people think like, oh, yeah, Ethereum is going to be the settlement layer for the internet. Uh, the yield on Ether is going to be great. I'm going to stake and retire for the rest of my life. That's now the base. I'm, I'm claiming that Ethereum is winning that and is going to win that. And so that's now the base case for ETH. The new bull case for ETH is that you also get additional yields for other things that you want to use your Ethereum staking for that gives you additional yields. And so it's just, it's rather than just being Ether is only meant for Ether staking, Ether you can stake for anything. Omnidirect, omnidirectional staking. I think new bull that case. this, new bull this case. could be, and this should be, honestly, a bankless article at some point in time, because I don't think people fully understand this. Probably. Um, is th- the idea, I mean, it kind of tra- transitions ETH into kind of the ultimate 
store the value asset, yes. in some ways because it's the asset. Yeah, you can use it to bond other entire networks as well. Yes, yes. I and mean, that's what we're talking yes. about. It's like right. the secure the unit of security for the entire internet. Yeah, and I haven't fully walked through what all that means, but um, I think it's pretty cool. This is uh, why uh, this eigenlayer thing has uh, captured the imaginations of many, many, many people. All right, David, what are you bullish on this week? Uh, I'm bullish on this concept, which is the subject of my article, which is economic equilibrium. Uh, so, Ryan, the history of steam engines was that we figured out that steam has a lot of power, and so we tried to harness it for a while, and then it would just blow up because we f- couldn't figure out how to harness it. And then we figured out this mechanism called a centrifugal governor, which allowed a too-hot engine to cool down and a too-cooled engine to heat up. And then that was this mechanism that allowed the steam power to go into actual productive output, created this the industrial revolution that we know today. I am claiming... That that same mechanism of uh, uh, control theory, uh, the controlling of power, is what the combination of EIP-1559 and proof of stake is for Ethereum. Where when gas fees – remember when gas fees were like 600 guay? Like yeah. all of that value went into proof of work and we actually just lost that value. It exp- expended outwards out of Ethereum. With proof of stake and EIP-1559, the Ethereum economic machine can recapture that value, put it back into the Ethereum, into the Ethereum economy and actually like move forward as an engine. Uh, and so this is the subject matter of my article. It, it came out yesterday for you Friday listeners. Uh, and it's also why I'm just so bullish on what I'm calling Ethereum triggering the industrial revolution of the internet uh, because all of this energy recapture, Ethereum block space goes into the value of Ether. Ether is the dominant collateral in DeFi. When the value of Ether and DeFi goes up, the downstream wealth effect for all tokens and supply of stablecoins also goes up. And it's just this recirculating loop of economic activity that makes the internet industrial revolution on its way. That's what I'm bullish on. Yeah, that's cool, David. Uh, David Bullish on steam engines. Steam engines. From, uh, Internet steam engines. Cypherpunk to uh, steampunk. <laughs> yeah, <so laughs> Ryan, what are you bullish on? I'm really bullish on this proof of innocence thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some code that the dev- we were talking about that earlier in the show. All right. And um, just to recap, uh, OFAC banned Tornado Cash. So, and they said anyone who uses Tornado Cash is obviously a criminal, we have to assume. And so, what did builders do? They developed a way to cryptographically prove that people using tornado cash are not criminals and that's just badass so bad that ass. is like uh jujitsu against authoritarians i think the authoritarian move is like you can't ban it because bad people will do bad things with privacy right mm-hmm. and the uh the crypto builders are out there saying like well no we can use our math and our cryptography to prove um without divulging our privacy mm-hmm. that we are not the criminals you think we are uh, that's why I'm bullish on. I, I just think that cryptography and builders uh, and a community with shared values is always going to be able to fight back mm-hmm. using the internet against uh, authoritarians and against this this further encroachment of our freedom. And the reason I'm bullish on that is both because I see it happening. That's what the crypto movement is all about. And uh, also, David, because honestly, it's our only hope mm-hmm. as we transition to this digital uh, era. We have to stay one step ahead of the surveillance state, right. the surveillance corporations, and those that would um, seek to kind of encroach and, and control. Uh, so, yeah, it's so cool when when we see that sort of thing. And then you can kind of put the acid test. You can throw it back to them and say, mm-hmm. like, yeah, was this really about what you say right. it was about, um, protecting us from criminals and terrorists? 
uh, or was it about actually you right. controlling things? Right. Right. Yeah. And then that's where the, the strong community and the social layer kicks in. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah, tell us, like, mm-hmm. show us. Like, <laughs> that's why, that's why we've always thought of bankless and, and crypto as more of a social movement mm-hmm. than anything else. 100%. Uh, anyway, that, that kind of thing just makes me bullish because I had no idea this sort of thing was feasible. And then just somebody spins it out and is like, yep, we released this open source code. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and use it, extend it if you want. And then mm-hmm. uh, I could tweet like something to, you know, Janet Yellen in the treasury. Right. Be like, hey, can we, can we yeah. use Tornado again? Because <laughs> we can prove that we're not criminals. Um, anyway, it's cool. Builders always like four steps ahead of, uh, you know, archaic institutions. And for all the people that are suing the Department of Treasury, myself included, this is just a huge piece of evidence that we get to take to the court and be like, I think so. Look at this. Look, look <laughs> what, look what we can do. Uh, and yeah. so like it's a huge boon to all the people that are suing the Department of Treasury. Yeah. Very cool. So thank you. All right, thank David. Meme of the week. What are you looking at? Meme of the week. Boom. Uh, roulette table. Where this is the, the scene out of the hangover, except, uh, all the faces are, have been replaced. All the, the wolf pack faces have been replaced by Kyle Davies oh, of three arrows capital. We got Sam Trabuco in the bottom left. We got Sam Bankman Freed rolling the dice. We got Do Kwan, uh, who is that in the back? Barry Silbert. Uh, oh, of course, uh, Suzu. And then, uh, in the top right corner, uh, we got Arthur Hayes. Wait, what happened to Arthur? He's doing okay. Isn't he? Well, I mean, after, after fighting the CFTC and, and paying a fine, I don't think the guy, the guy's in Singapore. Uh, guy's not coming back to America. Uh, each one of these things, each one of these people have an X over their face. They did not yeah. make it. Yeah. Uh, rip Wolfpack of 2022. <laughs> uh, that's it for you guys. We got As a moment always. of Zen. Okay. We, oh, got, yeah, we, we have a moment of Zen. zen. This is for okay. YouTube only because it okay, is only visual. This and this is about the KZG ceremony that is currently going on. Uh, if you do not know what the KZG ceremony is, there is a, uh, YouTube video an interview that I did with, uh, um, uh, Trent Van Epps and Carl of the Ethereum Foundation. Basically, everyone needs to con- contribute entropy to this KZG Foundation. And then there's this like period of time where really fun and cool mechanisms of creating entropy are give- like kind of art, are artful ways, tasteful ways of creating entropy are also being added into Ethereum to unlock EIP 48404. If you didn't understand that, go watch the video. But here is a very fun and creative way of creating entropy uh, to add to Ethereum. And that will come after right after Ryan tells you all about how risky crypto is. Yeah. Yeah, guys, it's super risky. Okay. <laughs> uh, you could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.